John's supposed to be on sabbatical, but I just saw him duct taped and tied up in the men's bathroom. So if somebody wants to... How are you? Living Spring? Somebody told me that uh, I was here 11 years ago. Man, I feel like I was here two or three years ago. And uh, time's going fast. So... It's good to be with you. Uh, even though it's been a long time, I see John a lot, too much actually, and, uh, and we, we bump into each other at conference things. So Living Spring has been a part of, uh, of my journey for a long time, so I feel like I'm, I'm not that unfamiliar, even though probably a lot of you I haven't met. Uh, there's a story, how many of you have seen the, 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 the show uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yeah. And there's, a, there's a, a, a saying in there where the kids are talking to the beavers, okay? And if you haven't seen the show, then you think I'm nuts, I know. <laughs> and, and the beavers are talking, and the little girl says to the beaver, he's, they're describing Aslan to them. And Aslan, of course, is representative of Jesus. And uh, as they're describing Aslan to the, uh, to the children, the littlest girl says, is he a safe lion? And the beaver said, oh, no, no, he's not a safe lion. But he's good. But he's good. How many of you know that God's not safe, but he's good? Yeah. Let me tell you what I mean. I worked very hard the last three days on a message for this morning. It's right here if you want to look at the notes later. And as I'm sitting back there, God says, what did you do that for? I got something else I want you to talk about. I'm like, oh man, the guy did that last Sunday? It must be something in your water. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand. So, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not using notes really. I wrote down about six things, little bullet points for me to remember. Uh, I'm going from scratch, but I really feel, it's something that I shared with you 11 years ago. And then when I realized that, the, that there's been a lot of new people in here, that, that this is the message that I, that I take so many places with me, because I think it's where the church is, and I think it's what the church needs to hear. So I hope that you'll, you'll put up with that. Uh, I used to be a respectable pastor in a respectable church, similar to this one, and then everything went wrong. Um, today, instead of dealing with people like you, my congregation is uh, large, hairy, tattooed, pierced knife-wielding bikers, and their husbands, too. And, uh, <laughs> and you have to be careful around bikers. I, I went up to one last week, and I said, man, that's, a, that's an awesome mustache you got going on there, and she about beat me half to death. But, um, what happened was I was pastoring the Lambs Fellowship in Murrieta, I started, my wife and I started that church in 1989, and after about 13 years there, I needed something to do. Just like your pastor's on sabbatical, I needed some time to myself. By the way, thank you, whoever's on the church board, thank you for uh, allowing him to do the sabbatical. The sabbatical that I took when I was pastoring saved my ministry. I actually called the superintendent and I said, done, tapping out, I don't want to do this anymore. These guys are crazy. I need a break. And he said, no, what you're going to do is you're going to take three months off, and I want you to take a month 
and uh, just rest and play and clear your head. I don't want you to take another month and, and get some personal counseling. Uh, I wasn't nuts or anything. I just needed to kind of unpack some stuff. And he says, then I want you to take another month and just do some ed- education to keep up with some new stuff that's going on. And it saved my ministry. So thank you for doing that for John. It's important. Um, but when I came back, one of the things that I was told was that I wasn't allowed to, to uh, be all about the church 24-7, seven days a week. You know, even when you have a night off and you go out, you usually go out with people from the church. And guess what you talk about? You talk about the church. And I needed something just for me to do. And so the most obvious thing came into my head, a Harley Davidson. By the way, guys, I was talking with most of your wives out in the lobby, and they said they wish you'd go out and buy one. (laughs) John, tell your wife to stop calling me and asking you to go out and buy a Harley Davidson. And so I went out and I bought a bike, and I didn't know any, I'd never ridden motorcycles before. I'm not one of those guys that grew up in dirt bikes and everything, and I, I, was, I was just needed something to do on my day off, and so I went out and I bought a, a Harley Davidson, and I started riding it, and I was just having a great time. I remember, uh, I, I, because I'd never ridden before, and even though I'd taken the safety class, I had the motorcycle delivered to my house in my garage, and I had them back it into the garage. And the first three days, all I did was polish it, sit on it. And I remember the day that I opened the garage door and I said, if you let this clutch out, you're going to die. (laughs) And I took off and I didn't come back for hours. I just had a ball. Now my wife said, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. This is your thing. Leave me out of it. We have children. Somebody has to live. So (laughs) you go ahead and have a good time. A week later, she said, I'll go down to the ice cream stand with you if you'd like. And when we got close to the ice cream stand, she said, you can go a little further if you'd like. So I gave her the road name Sticky Booger for about, um, for about a year after that because I couldn't get rid of her. I could never go out anywhere by myself. She always wanted to go with me. She's uh, 62 years old as I am, and she still rides back and forth to Sturgis with me. That's about uh, 1,600 miles one way. And uh, it's just, it's been the joy of her life. But what happened was, one day, I got a flat tire on the back of my bike. Now, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know a canoe valve from a muffler bearing, so don't ask me about mechanics. But I didn't know how to change the back tire, because it's not like a car. You've got chains and all kinds of things tied up to it. So I called the dealership, and I said, can you send me somebody that can fix this bike or pick it up or whatever? And they said, sure. And so they sent out a young man in, in, in a truck, and And he got out and he had long stringy hair and tattoos up his neck and his mother's name on his throat and all that kind of stuff. And he was a scary looking dude. And uh, we loaded up the bike and I kept trying to make friendship with him and and, uh, build a relationship and he was having nothing to do with it. And I, being a pastor, I had been talking to my, my congregation about going out beyond ourselves, going outside of our comfort zone and making friends with people that are not necessarily from the church or from our faith. And as we're riding back to the dealership, I'm thinking, I need to talk to this guy. I need to say something. I said, God, give me, give me, give me some kind of a segue that I can, I can just somehow just open the door of conversation of spiritual things. And I had several ideas, but guess what? I didn't do it. I chickened out. I was the pastor of a, of a, of a, a growing free Methodist church in southwest Riverside County. I was telling my people about evangelism. 
and old Featherlegs up here just, just chickened out because he was a biker and he was scary. And two days later, he was dead. He had had a, a, a bad motorcycle accident, and I won't go into details, but it, it wasn't just bad, it was ugly, and it was violent. And it ripped me up, as you can imagine, as a pastor. His name was Michael. He was 19 years old. As a pastor, I, did, I didn't, I didn't uh, really know what to do. I was really outside of my element, and so I went down to the dealership, and uh, the Quaid Harley-Davidson, they're in Loma Linda, and they're all, they were also in Temecula. And I went up to the front, and Rich Quaid was there. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of homework here. When you hear the word hog, okay, that stands for Harley Owners Group. It's a corporate organization of about two and a half million riders internationally. And that's who our primary ministry with, is with today. So I went down to the dealership, and I saw Rich Quaid, and I said, uh, Hey, you don't know me, um, but I'm a local pastor here in town. And I just met Michael last week, and I'm really sorry uh, about uh, his death. Is there anything I can do? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to do, but is there anything I can do? And I can't tell you exactly what he said in church. But he said to me, a student of church growth and, and uh, someone who was looking to connect with the, the, uh, the unsaved world, he said, Pastor, this place is so messed up you can do anything you want the dealership is yours now there were over 400 hog members at that dealership at that time that I had just started riding with there was about 25 employees that worked there and I just took one foot in front of the other and I went out into the store and I started talking to people and I'd say hey I'm really sorry to hear about Michael did you know Michael Hey, I'm sorry to hear about Michael. Uh, my name is Pastor Marty. Can I, can I pray with you? Are you doing okay? And the openness of the people and the brokenness of the people was a shock to me. Uh, they were sheep without a shepherd. And I went back to the owner, Rich Quaid, and I said, you know, Rich, what I've discovered is that you're very good at selling motorcycles and T-shirts but you really suck at taking care of people. Why don't you let me do that for you? And so four or five of us who are Christians just started to be available, just started to uh, be available for weddings, for funerals, for grief counseling. Uh, uh, we were uh, there to just to, to pray for things when they wanted us to pray for things. And one day we rode in, the four or five of us rode into the Lamb's Fellowship parking lot now, you need to know that the, the Lamb's Fellowship uh, had a lot of puns. Do you have puns about Living Spring? You know, like a lot of drips go here or something like that? Okay. Oh, that church is all wet. You know, that kind of stuff? Well, at Lamb's Fellowship, you weren't a member. You were 100% wool. That meant you're in. And um, our men's group was called RAM, Righteous Army of Men. Okay. The women's group was called U2. I didn't come up with it the way you did. And uh, the only time I got, got, got a little upset was when they tried to refer to one of my baptisms as a sheep dip, and I said, no. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going to call it that. We're not going to call it that. But uh, 
one day, the four or five of us who had been helping the local hog chapter uh, wrote in, and my secretary said, oh, look, here comes the black sheep of the flock. Because as a biker, as a Christian biker, you're a little bit of an oddball in the motorcycle community, and you're a little bit of an oddball in the church as well. And we uh, just kind of kept doing what we were doing for a couple of years, and finally, uh, I got to the point where this thing was growing, the church was growing, uh, the denomination had made me a district superintendent, so I also had to oversee eight other churches, and something had to give. And I shocked the conference by saying, I'm, I'm going to resign, and I'm going to take this black sheep thing full time. That was uh, about 18 years ago. We're in 38 states, uh, Canada, Mexico, and Australia. And uh, it was just, just a, a, an incredible joy. But what, you say, well, that's, that's a great story, Marty, but what has that got to do with me? What has that got to do with us here this morning? Let me say to you that the church of Jesus Christ in America is not growing. And it's been that way for a decade or more. We're not growing. Anybody guess what the fastest growing religion in America is? Islam, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're nuts sometimes, but, you know, they're willing to die for what they believe. Are you ready to die for Christ? Because he told us to take up our cross and follow him. Now, when he said that to the disciples, how could they have known what that meant? Take up our cross and follow you. If we take up our cross, we're dead, so how can we follow you if we're dead? And to us today... Since we don't think of a cross as a form of execution, and we read the word and it says, take up your cross and, and, and follow me, what do we think that means? What does it mean to die to self? What does it mean to say no to our flesh? Well, it's going to mean something different for every one of us, but I'll guarantee you this. He's a good God, but he's not a safe God. He will take you places that you may not have wanted to go on your own. It'll be an incredible journey. It'll be wonderful. It may or may not benefit you. But if you're obedient, it will glorify God and the kingdom of heaven. ABC News called us up kind of a weird thing because I guess the, these big news corporates, they have, uh, they have uh, subsidiar subsidiaries and in Himmet, California, there was this little newspaper that did a story on black sheep. And the next thing that happened was uh, they said, uh, we want to come out and do a story on you. Oh, by the way, uh, Peter Jennings wants to do a story on black sheep. I said, yeah, okay, sure. And uh, sure enough, they called and they said, we want to find some time that we can meet with you and, and we like what you're doing and it's kind of interesting and we want to promote it. And so that little group of five or ten went to 15 or 20. And then uh, when it came out on World News Tonight about this phenomena called black sheep, uh, they made a big, this is pre-Sons of Anarchy, so they didn't exploit us that way. But um, we're more like Sons of Malarkey, but anyway. Uh, or Sons of, uh, uh, what is it? Sons of Arthritis, that's what it is. Uh, but it took us, it took us from from here to here and having to get very serious about what we did. 
And we thought more and more about what are we doing? What, what, what is this thing that we're doing on motorcycles? Are we just having a good time? Are we just being silly? Or is this truly going to be a motorcycle ministry? Now, Pastor John used a term <clears throat> that you can't use. He doesn't, he doesn't know. He, he doesn't understand. That's okay. A motorcycle club means something. And it's those guys. We're not a motorcycle club. If you see our patch, it says MM, Motorcycle Ministry. And that seems like kind of a, just, a, just a, uh, um, an unimportant detail, but out there it's incredibly important that when we ride through a new city where people don't know us, they look at the patch and they're looking for an MC or an MM, and we're an MM. We were thinking about, are we just, is this a fellowship? Is this just a cool thing to do? Are we just going through a midlife crisis? Or is this really something that we're supposed to be about? Is this the Lord's business? Well, here's the story for the church here today before I read the scripture. God said to Moses, what is that you have in your hand? Moses said, it's a stick. What does God put in your hand? And my guess is some of you will disqualify it and say, it's just a stick. What did God do through Moses with that stick? He rescued an entire nation. He brought water from a rock. He, he divided the sea. He did great things. I was listening to uh, Johnny Erickson uh, this week on the radio. And here's a woman who has every reason to, to curse God and die. And yet, I was a teenager when she first kind of came on the scene. Johnny Erickson is a quadriplegic. And today, she's written I don't know how many books. She speaks internationally. And she had every excuse to say, I'd love to serve God, but I can't. I'm in this wheelchair. And God has done great things with her stick. My stick is my motorcycle. What's your stick? Your stick might be cooking. It might be mechanics. It, it might be storytelling. It, it might be music. You might just be a good listener. You might have a, an unusual gift of compassion. You might, you might be an artist. Uh, you, you'd be surprised the oddest things that, that can be used to bring glory to God. And if you're ignoring your stick, if you're not being used by God, then you're a part of that problem of why the church isn't growing. Sunday morning, when I say the church, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. When people come to a church, the average stay of a person when they visit a new church is less than one year. And I'll take that and just put it here for a second. The average stay of a person that comes to a church is, one, is less than one year. On a separate study, we've learned that it takes about a year. If this was your, your first Sunday, it would take you about a year before people got to know you and you got to know people and, and they began to trust you and, and you began to find where you fit in this church 
and you would then become an effective part of the infrastructure and the ministry of this church. It takes about a year to do that. But the average American stays in a church less than a year. You put that together? That means the American church is this amoeba that wanders across the land and never gets involved. I was talking to a brother this morning who says, yeah, I've been here, and I forgot how long he said he'd been here. It was 30, how many, how many years have you been here? 20-some years. God bless him. That's what it takes to build a church. I want to read you a story from John 8, and this was something that I was going to share this morning, but I'm going to go a different direction with it. In John 8, it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to, the, to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And I love the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And there's a lot of speculation as to what Jesus was writing on the ground. Some people say he was writing the Ten Commandments. Some say he was writing the names of the men in the crowd, which he shouldn't have known. Like maybe these were the men that had been with this woman. And it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He gave her grace, unearned and undeserved. If you win a race, they'll give you a trophy. If you stay at a job for 25 years, they'll give you a gold watch. If, if, if you go to work 40 hours a week, they'll give you a paycheck. But grace is something that we don't earn. We didn't win. We didn't buy it. It makes absolutely no sense to the average person. It is absolutely unearned and unmerited. It is a gift. And Jesus said to this woman who was absolutely positively caught, it says, in the very act of adultery. And they dragged her out into the city square. I mean, was she, was she naked? Was she half naked? Did she just grab a, a towel or something and put it around her? But surely it was humiliating. And they dragged her out into the city, city square. And it was a death, it was a, a crime in that culture that demanded death. She was the outcast. She was the oddball. She was the black sheep. She was, she was disgusting in the sight of these people. And she was worthy in that culture of being stoned to death. And just, just a little background. Stoning is not really generally picking up a stone and throwing it like you see in most movies. Stoning is usually picking up a stone and simply dropping it on somebody until they die. 
Jesus had absolutely no leg to stand on except grace. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. She's guilty. I mean, obviously she's here. She's, she's partially dressed. She's got a bad reputation. She's, she's a, a woman who obviously has broken the law. Tell you what. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. You who have not sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. See, we have a world of hurting, angry, twisted, messed up, broken, scared, frightened, disoriented, confused people. I'm just talking about the church. And then there are the ones that are really messed up outside of the church. And with our stick, our Moses stick, we, we come in here. There's a reason they call this a sanctuary. It's a place of safety. It's a place of, of, of comfort. We come in, I watched you guys this morning. You had coffee and you had donuts and you, and you, and you, and you hugged each other and you shook hands and you high-fived and you, you came to a familiar place. You've been in the workplace all week and that's not always a kind place. And you came here into the sanctuary and you leaned on each other and you enjoyed each other and you were encouraged by each other. And then you came into the sanctuary and you had wonderful worship music this morning. I visit a lot of churches, let me tell you, you have wonderful worship music here this morning. I was in a church a few weeks ago where the piano player, I'm sure, was wearing boxing gloves, but we won't go into that right now. That was another church, don't want to mention any names. But the sanctuary is a place that we are come, we are to come and to worship God and to fill up and to reload and then go out into the world where we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. How would we have handled this woman? What would we have done in that situation? You say, well, we don't stone people in America. No, we do other things. How, how will you handle the homeless person? How will you handle your obnoxious neighbor? Trust me, I have three. How, how will you handle the, 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 the transgender person that moved in next door? How will you handle the rude, angry boss? How will your stick make a difference Monday through Saturday before you come back in here to refill again? Moses had a stick. What do you have? There's a guy that I'm sure you know. His name is Bono from U2, and he's written an incredible song that I am going to look at my notes here. For those of you who don't know, Bono lead, was the lead singer, is the lead singer of a group called U2. He grew up in Northern Ireland, the son of one Catholic and one Protestant parent. And throughout his childhood and adult years, he was a constant witness to the hatred fueled by the ranks of Christendom. It left Bono less than enthusiastic about the church. Have you ever wondered why more of them don't come in here? You have a beautiful facility. You've really upgraded this facility. And the worship is much better than it was 11 years ago. Sorry if you were the worship leader 11 years ago. I don't really remember. <laughs> I mean, this church is going in the right direction. But you know, have any of you ever actually been to a service in a mosque? No. Why would you? 
I'm not going in there. It's weird in there. I don't know what they do in there. I'm not going in there. There are people out there in this, in this post-Christian culture that we live in that have no idea what goes on in here. You guys might shave cats. They don't know. They're not coming in here. <laughs> you, might, you might like shake snakes or, or, or speak in tongues or jump up and down and swing. from. All they know about the church is what they've seen from Hollywood. And that ain't good, is it? Okay. So we have a motto in black sheep. They're not coming in here. So we have to go out there. There's a dichotomy in the church that, that that's kind of, we struggle with. And we, and we use it. We use it, it, it. Some people think it's a contradiction. Other people just see it as two sides of the same coin. But we use it to our own, um, our own comfort, our own, our own purpose. In other words, the Bible says, come out from among them and be holy. Oh, so we don't hang out with those people. We come out from among them and we be holy. And we send our kids to Christian schools and we watch Christian movies and we listen to Christian music and we read Christian books and we hang out just together here, us four and no more, and we're safe. But the other side of that coin is go into all the world and preach the gospel. The other side of that coin is 1 Peter 2.11 that says, Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, you bunch of Christian hypocrites, yeah, I hear that all the time, they will have to see your good deeds and have no choice but to glorify God. You see, my dad taught me a long time ago, you can't fish in a horse trough. You got to go where the fish are. And my stick takes me to large motorcycle rallies and rides, and I'm surrounded by filth. I'm surrounded by sexuality. I'm surrounded by vulgarity. Sometimes I come off the streets of Laughlin or, or Sturgis or Daytona, and I just want to take a shower. I'm wise. I don't ever go out by myself. I always take somebody with me. There's accountability in all of that. But we're at the right time, at the right place, with the right people so that we can introduce them to Christ and tell them that we don't shave cats in here and bring them into a church like this where they would really like some nice people. They would really enjoy the music. They would really enjoy the sanctuary if we were to go and tell them. And so Bono comes out of this negative church situation that he grew up in and he, yet, and, and somehow, in, in, in spite of that, he continued as a youth to embrace Christianity. And he maintains his brace, embrace even till today. In a speech to a Harvard University graduating class in 2000, he declared that he was a believer in grace, and he believed, that he believed in grace over karma, karma being the notion that we get what we deserve. And in a song entitled Grace... Bono pictures Grace as a beautiful, vibrantly attractive woman. And he sings this. Grace. She takes the blame. She carries the shame. She removes the stains. Grace could be her name. Grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. 
And when she walks on the street, you can hear her strings. Grace finds goodness in everything. Grace, she's got the walk. She's got time to talk. She travels outside of karma. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace, that receiving of something that we absolutely did not earn and did, did not did not create and did not buy and did not inherit through our family, that, that gift that God has given to every one of us this morning here that knows Christ. We have this precious gift. And like grace in the song, we must go walking. And we must give away what has been given to us so freely. I heard uh, Rick Warren talking not too long ago about if any one of us was to find the cure for cancer. Think about that. You've got cure for cancer. How many of you have lost somebody to cancer? Yeah, most of the hands in the room. What if you had the cure in a little vial? And you said, I'm not smart enough to share this. I'm not good enough to share this. I'm too embarrassed to share this. What a shame. How dare we take the joy that you guys have shared this morning in this church and not take it outside? You say, well, I'm not sure where to start. You start with the stick. What's your stick? What do you have? What are you into? I don't care if it's radio-controlled cars or boating or skiing or surfing or motorcycles or horses. We had a gal in our church that was into horses, and she had a, she had a history of eating disorders. She said, Pastor, what am I going to do? We spent a couple of sessions talking, and today she runs a group called Woven Saddle. You know, Ecclesiastes, the three cords that are not easily broken. And she takes young girls with eating disorders, and she teaches them how to care for horses and how to ride. That's her stick. What's your stick? I'll I'll tell you something. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'd like to ask you, how many of you know your neighbor? A lot of us don't know our neighbors in California. We got those little buttons. You pull up to your house and you go like that and the door opens and you go inside to safety and you push the button and it closes behind you. You see your neighbor in the front lawn, you just kind of do like this and keep mowing the lawn. Because they probably shave cats in their house and I don't want to know them. They're weirdos. Let me give you a stick. Let me give you a great stick. You think about this. It's not silly. This is a great stick. Take a plate of homemade cookies. Put your phone number inside the cookies. See, but I, I, we've been living next to each other or across the street from each other for years. What would I say? Knock. Hey, I'm your neighbor across the street. I know. We've never met. My name's Marty. Uh, the wife made you some cookies. But I just wanted to, I wanted to give you my phone number because if anything ever goes bump in the middle of the night or you need something, this is my cell phone. This is my wife's cell phone. We're right across the street. Uh, if you ever need us, let us know. You will blow their mind. 
And that, that wasn't weird, was it, what I just said? That's not weird, because you don't want to be weird. Hi, I'm a Christian. Are you ready to go to hell? Huh? <laughs> yeah? Don't go there. You don't have to be weird. <laughs> have you ever been saved? Uh, well, yeah, once I was about eight years old. I was drowning in the pool, and I, my brilliant, no, 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 no. Have you, uh, have you ever been born again? Uh, no, not really into reincarnation. I kind of, I've just, I just, uh, have you ever been washed in the blood? Oh, I hope not. No, really. I, you, know. you don't have to get weird. Hey, we're from across the street. Here's a plate of cookies my wife made for you. I know we've never met, but that's my cell phone there. Call me if you ever need me. That's a stick. Halloween night. Christians don't do Halloween, right? You know what we do? We do Halloween big. Oh, yeah. You know I'm shy. So I usually dress up and chase kids down the street. But we put out a barbecue. Hot dogs are cheap. Hot dogs, mustard, and ketchup. Parents come by. Kids get candy. We offer the people a hot dog, and about half of them stay and have a hot dog. They know who I am on the street now. I haven't preached to any of them. But I didn't let them get away. Building a bridge with a stick. I'll close with this. We're either going to be baggage in the church or we're going to be soldiers in the church. And not every missionary has been called to go to Africa. I've been to Africa. I've been with Don Rogers. It's just not my thing. I haven't got anything against Africa. I'm just, it's just not my thing. But when I met the motorcycle community, sheep without a shepherd, they became my thing. God took my heart and matched it to their heart. Who is God matching your heart with? What has God given you to use for the kingdom of God? If you are deaf, dumb, and blind, and a quadriplegic, God can use you to build his kingdom. And why would you not want to be used? But all you have to do, like Moses, is say, it's just a stick, but it's your stick. Use me this week. Careful, he's a good God, but he's not safe. And if you say use me, he's going to use you. God, put people in my path. Careful, he'll do it. Give me a divine appointment this week. Careful, he'll do it. But do you want to be used by God? Do you want to see this church fill up, not, not just with other wonderful Christian people, but with people searching for Christ? Let me tell you what else you got going for you here besides great music and great facility. You got a great pastor. And he's not one of these guys that's going to speak over the heads of people on the street. He's going to speak right to them. He's relevant. He makes sense. He's weird, but he's, <laughs> but he's, but he's relevant. He's relevant. And you don't, you, this isn't a church that you have to be ashamed of. Oh, it's outdated and it's old-fashioned. No, this, this is very cool. It's very hip what you've got going on here and you've got a great pastor. But he can't do it all. He needs you to make the connections that you've got. Let me just pray for you real quick. Dear God, would you please speak to my friends? 
by the way, with your heads bowed, um, if, if this prayer is for you and you want to be used and you want to be released and you want to find out exactly where you fit in, just put your hand up just to receive from the Lord. Father, see our hands. We just want to be used. We want to be relevant. We want to see people come to Christ. Would you use us this week? Would you, would you show us where we fit in? Would you show us what we've got? Would you use us to help that woman in the street that was cast out? Would you help us to reach our neighbors? Would you help us to be a friend of sinners? Use us, God. We are surrendered to you. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.